nice to see you all. Um, like, like Carlos said, I'm one of the campus missionaries here with our campus ministry, Campus Christian Fellowship. And I have been here at Hillcrest for about five years since I, since I came on staff. And I just love this church so much. I love all the neat opportunities we have, like getting to go on the, the Israel trip, um, serving with your kids in 412. They're really funny, the middle schoolers. And just seeing all the ways that you, you all love the Lord have really blessed me. So with campus ministry, I'm kind of a poster child for campus ministry. I, I came to Western here in town as a freshman, and I, I believed in God, and I thought church was okay. But I really, really didn't like what I thought I knew about Jesus. And within one of the, the first few hours of being on campus in my new dorm, it's that one, Mathis, the one with the sun shining on it. And within the first few hours of being there, my new Bible study leader came. She had a plate of cookies, knocked on my door, and was like, hi, would you like to come to a Bible study? And I could tell right away she was one of these Jesus people that I was very wary of. <sighs> but she was just so nice and so persistent, so Throughout the whole of fall quarter, she kept inviting me to come, and I avoided her a little bit, but she wore me down. So finally, I decided to come to Bible study, and then she even talked me into coming to a class that Brady was teaching specifically about Jesus and all about his teachings. She used her influence over me for good. I'm very grateful now. At the time, I didn't quite know how she was doing it. Um... But in the class that I went to, that Brady was teaching, similar to that classroom up there, um, I, I remember hearing about Jesus' words and, and learning the meaning behind them for the first time. And I just thought, how could I have ever denied that Jesus is God? And this happened in my life. Because the CCF staff and the student leaders like Cynthia, my, my Bible study leader, recognized the deep impact they could have on the lives of students on campus. This happened because you, you all as Hillcrest, decided that you value reaching out to college students. And I'm so grateful for that. So, so grateful. Today, we get to focus on a story similar along these, along these lines, thinking about our spheres of influence and the deep impact that we can have, like Cynthia's persis persistence and Brady's teaching, how, how those things deeply impacted my life. As a church at Hillcrest, we have been going through a series on prophets and kings, going through the parts of the Old Testament, and last week, Tim went over the broader picture of the biblical narrative and where these, where these kings and prophets fit into the story, talking about how stabilizing it is to know where we've come from and how that helps us come before God, asking him to help us figure out what we, what we really want and how to do that when we lack the resources. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in a bit on a specific part of this story with 
Solomon and the beginning of his reign as king in the very start of the book, 1 Kings, in the Old Testament. Now, the way the author of 1 Kings crafts this first part of this story points to a major theme that he's trying to convey. And that is that when we have the wisdom of God, we can use our places of influence for the betterment of others. When we have the wisdom of God, we can use our places of influence, impact, things like that, for the betterment of the people around us. On the flip side, when we do not seek the wisdom of God, we can really hinder and hurt the people around us. The start of the book of 1 Kings shows a strong comparison of this and what Solomon's justice and influence looks like with and without the wisdom of the Lord. So we're at the beginning of 1 Kings. King David has just died and passed his reign as king on to Solomon. And Solomon has a bit of a rough start. You can read through 1 Kings chapter 2 if you want to read more about that. Um, start of chapter 3, he marries an Egyptian princess and focuses his energy on bringing her back to the city of David, building their palace and getting that all situated, rather than completing the temple of God like he should be doing. And because he chooses to focus on his palace first, it delays the building of the temple of God, the place where all the people can go to worship the one true God. And because of this, the people went on worshiping in the high places and making sacrifices to idols, things like that, because of Sol Solomon's choice. Our choices, our actions, our priorities, they affect the people around us. I have an older sister named Kimberly, and I, I love her a lot. When she was in middle school, she had a math teacher she didn't really like for whatever reason. And this math class happened to be in a room where there was a window, and right below the window there was a vent that let out steam from a furnace or something like that. And my sister, being the influential leader that she was, would convince the class and this teacher that the building was on fire. And the teacher, I have no idea why, believed her and would file the class out because the building was on fire. And she did this multiple times, multiple, not just one time, but multiple times, and the teacher believed her. And they would file out of the building, and they would not talk about math at all. And my sister, I bet you she willfully did not learn any math that quarter at all. She was using her influence in that situation for evil. She, it was not good. Um, now she's, she's grown, she's matured, she uses her influence for good now. Um, but like, like Solomon putting off the building of the temple, he's putting the focus on himself, on his desires, what he wants, rather than what would be best for the people that he's influencing. We can do this too. We can abuse or neglect our places of influence. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, and to this you would say, I see that. This sounds like a lot of Christians, 
that I know. Putting themselves first, being hypocritical, not caring for the people around them, or thinking about how their actions affect people. If that has been your experience with Christians or the church, I want to say that's not what God wants. That is never his intent. God sees that too, that kind of attitude, and that makes him so angry. Instead, he's the kind of God who says things like this in Philippians and the New Testament. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, he made being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the most powerful being in all creation, set aside his power on behalf of others. When we as Christians do the opposite of that, in the name of Jesus, we betray him. When we fail to humble ourselves and seek God's wisdom for ourselves and the people around us, it does damage. It does damage to the church and it does damage to her reputation. So Solomon in this story, he realizes what he's doing and he's like, Lord, I am like a little child trying to run this nation and I really need your help. So in in verse 9, um, it says, Solomon is, is talking with the Lord about this in a dream, and he says, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great nation of people that are yours? Solomon, he realizes his influence and his responsibility to these people, and he sees his deep need for the Lord in that. As we go on into the second part of the story, I want you to think about this question, um, reflect on it in your own life. Where are your places of influence? Where are your places of influence? So while the start of Solomon's reign as king shows a misuse of his power, of of this justice and influence that he has, we can see a dramatic change in Solomon's effectiveness as a just and wise king because of the wisdom of the Lord operating in him. The Lord responded and said, yeah, you you see that you're like a little child. I will will help you. I'm going to give you wisdom in that. So this is what happens next in 1 Kings at the end of chapter 3, starting in verse 16. This is a big chunk of text, but we're going to work through it. Um, Now two, two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son 
from my side while your servant was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. So for a few verses after this, the women go back and forth saying, no, this is the way it is. No, this is the way it is. This is my son. This is, this is my son. And Solomon does a little bit of what I do when someone comes to me for advice and I don't know what to say. He's like, ah, oh, well, you say this, and you say this. Hmm. Kind of like buying himself a little bit of time. But then it's like the wisdom of the Lord strikes him, and he knows what to say. In verse 24, Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. I was uh, talking with one of the girls that I mentor on campus at Skagit this last week. Uh, she's a new Christian, and she doesn't, she doesn't know a lot about the Bible, but she was asking me what I was going to be talking about this morning. So I started telling her a bit of the story, and then I was like, well, why don't I just read it to you? So I turned to 1 Kings 3, and when we got to this part of the story, she was like, what? That is a terrible idea. Why would he do that? I thought was pretty funny because on the surface it does seem like a terrible idea you're like what Solomon why would you do that but Solomon's motive here is not to hurt the child it's to see what kind of response this elicits from the women the Lord gives Solomon the wisdom to find a way to examine the hearts of these two women And their response to Solomon's plan shows the truth of the situation. The next verse, um, verse 26, the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Before I came to Western as a student, um, I had my first serious encounter with the Lord involving this very story. I, I was a sophomore in high school, and... I somehow had been hoodwinked by one of those crafty youth pastors into going on a mission trip. And the purpose of this trip was to do street evangelism with homeless people in the Tenderloin. And that, if you don't know, that's like one of the roughest neighborhoods in San Francisco. And at this point, like I said, I'd, I'd kind of believed in God and I liked going to church because it was fun to play games and make nice friends. Um, But in terms of knowing Jesus, in terms of knowing the Bible, any kind of understanding or wisdom involving that, I felt completely inadequate. And being plopped here in the middle of the tenderloin, I felt that all the more glaringly. (laughs) And was just kind of at a loss at how how I had got there and how my youth pastor had talked me into coming (laughs) again. Uh, So early on on the trip, 
one of the leaders, one, one night before we were going out into the city, one of the leaders talked about how it's so important when you get up in the morning to, to read your Bible and to have that be the thing that fills you up before you go out. And I'd never done that before. And I was feeling quite terrified and a bit um, afraid about what I was going to do in the situation, going out and talking to people. So I figured, sure, I'll, I'll give that a try. The next morning, I got up and I flipped open my Bible to whatever came to me, and I pointed, and it was the story about these two women and King Solomon. So I read it, and I was like, that was really random. I, I don't know how that's going to help me, <laughs> but okay, here I go. So I, I left, and I went up to meet up with my team for the day, and we were walking around looking for people to talk with. We had we packed lunches so that we could hand them out to people as we went. And as we were going, I saw a woman sitting by herself. And I thought, okay, she looks like I could, I could go talk to her. I'll, so I went over to her very nervously, gave her my lunch, and asked if I could sit and talk with her for a little while. And she was, sure, sure, you can sit with me told her about what we were doing, and eventually she was like, hey, so I've been reading this book lately, and it, it was a book that I'd, I'd never heard of before. She was like, and in it there, there are these two women, and they, they both claim to have the same baby, but I, I have no idea how you would figure that situation out. How would you, how would you know who the real mother is? what do you think you would do in that situation? <laughs> and I was stunned. <laughs> and I was, and I was like, well, I guess I can tell her what I read in the Bible this morning. <laughs> so I told her and she was like, wow, I really like your answer. That I never would have thought of that. And, I mean, she didn't fall down and come to know the Lord, but it was, it was a strong moment, I'll tell you that. And through this, through my first real encounter with the Lord's power and sovereignty, I saw it was like the Lord was just blatantly saying to me, it is not by your power that you're going to do these things. All you need is my wisdom. All you need is, is my help, is me working through you. If I let myself be filled by his wisdom like Solomon was, he would fully equip me to talk to or help or serve or do whatever it was that was before me. The wisdom Solomon has from God in this story is so profound. The woman I was talking to saw it as I told her this story. The, the girl I was mentoring and talking with, when we read the rest of the story, she was like, wow, that, that's really wise. I can't believe that. And the people who were listening to Solomon's verdict in this story felt it too. The end of the story says this. The king gave, then the king gave his ruling 
Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. If we allow the wisdom of the Lord to enter into our places of influence, the Lord can do great things through us. Again, what I want you to think about is where are your places of influence? You might be thinking, I don't have any kind of like official title. I'm not a king of Israel, anything like that. But think about who are the people that you are daily in relationship with? Who are the people that you talk with and connect with? Maybe your children, your spouse, your roommate, your classmates, your coworkers, your boyfriend or girlfriend, your parents, these people that you're daily connecting with. Those are places of influence because they're human interactions. You are interacting with other humans. Um, and the question I want to, to leave you with is how can you bring the Lord's wisdom into those places? What would that look like in your life? How can you be a humble servant leader like Christ was in those places? I think about all the girls that I mentor at Skagit through my job and how if I failed to seek the Lord's wisdom as I'm guiding and advising these ladies, I could do some real damage. I remember one of the first times I realized this, I was meeting one-on-one -on -one with a girl, and she was at a pretty hard spot in her life, and um, so I was just racking my brain and trying to think of things I could tell her, advise her in, and saying some things, and all of a sudden she was like, wait, stop. I was like, okay. And she pulled out a notebook and started writing down everything that I was saying. And it was so humbling. It made me realize I need to really weigh and be, be careful about what I'm telling these girls and that, that I'm relying on the Lord for his wisdom rather than my own. I think about how I am only about eight years old in the Lord and how desperately I love and need to hear the wisdom of people who are farther along in their walk with Jesus than I am. It, I can't tell you how, how life-giving and how peace-filling it is to hear from people who have daily walked with Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years through trials or things that I'm going through now and say, this is what the Lord said to me in this time. You're, it's going to be okay. This is the wisdom that the Lord gave to me. We, we need this in the church. We need this in our relationships with people. To be passing on wisdom to each other, to be seeking wisdom on the sake of our friends and family and the people around us. If we do this, 
the Lord will be able to thrive through us for the betterment of the people around us. Let's pray. Worship team, you can come back up. Lord, thank you that you give your wisdom to us so freely. Help us each to recognize our places of power and influence. Help us to be wise and to submit ourselves to you like like Solomon did. And teach us how to let your wisdom flow through us for the sake of those around us. We love you so much, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen.